This is my first time preaching here, so it's really, really exciting. Uh, my family and I were here a few weeks ago just kind of scoping it out because uh, I, I come to Verge a lot on Wednesdays, but uh, rarely am I here and free on Sundays. So it was good worshiping with you last week, and it's good worshiping with you guys this morning, the day after Christmas. This, they, you guys really are the faithful uh, ones, so we appreciate you guys being here worshiping uh, when we're all a little bit tired and full of eggnog and chocolate and desserts. So it was really good. Uh, Many of you maybe don't know me, but yeah, I've been here two years. Uh, I, it's kind of, I was hired uh, in November of 19, and I basically had a few months to say hi to people, and then I was locked in my house for COVID. Uh, so it was a really weird first year, but uh, I survived barely. It was a really rough, I don't know if extroverts really struggled uh, during COVID. I was like, day one, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I don't know, I'm trapped with my family for a long time, but uh, it's been good. Uh, we had Christmas yesterday, like everyone else, and during Christmas season, sometimes uh, you, as, as a parent, uh, have to get gifts you really aren't thrilled about getting, whether it's because they make a lot of noise or because it's like a PlayStation and you know you won't see your kids ever again. Uh, my family kind of broke that tradition, too, where we, we had to put the needs of our kids, well, I had to put the needs of my wife and my kids because she was on board with it, I was not, but for years and years and years, uh, my family has been wanting something, and so much so that my middle son, Gavin, uh, would sometimes cry because he knew he could never get this gift. And uh, it's, it's, it's pathetic, I know. Uh, but I just, I just did not want to break this, this barrier in our house. But uh, we did. A few weeks ago, they got an early Christmas gift, and uh, you can see what I got my kids. All right. Merry Christmas. Where they get? And there is the dog. <laughs> There's a longer video, but you don't need to see all of it. Uh, we did. We got a, a stupid dog. Uh, is how I. <laughs> Basically what I refer to it most of the time. I don't know when I, I lost my soul, and I just don't like animals, but uh, I, I do things for my kids, right? We all, we all do this. Like, uh, I'm tired of Six Flags Great America. I've been like 15 times. I'm kind of over it, but my kids want to go. What do we do? We take them to Six Flags. Although it is a little bit easy serving my family. It's easy making my kids happy. It's easy serving, easier serving my family. It's easier serving my wife. Um, but it also, serving is hard. And that's a little bit of our context today. Is we're going to be talking about serving. And we're going to be seeing an example of serving and the reward of serving. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is going to be our passage today. And Paul is going to be instructing the church in Philippi how to be great servants, how this church, how Christ's followers are to be the best servants in the world, how Christians, Christ's followers, should be the best at outserving everyone in existence. We should be the best humble servants. And he's going to point to an example. So, the beginning of the verse is, hey, we need to be servants. We need to be all united in this. And then he's going to give us an example. Of course, the example is Jesus. And Paul's going to say, hey, if Jesus can do it, you can do it, right? 
And then we're going to look at the exaltation. The third point this morning is going to be that if we are humble servants, if we are united as a church to outdo one another in good deeds, that Christ will reward us. So that's our passage this morning. Maybe I'll read the passage for us, and, uh, and then uh, we'll pray and we'll dig into our text this morning. So here's what God's Word says, Philippians chapter one, or sorry, chapter two, verses one through 11. <clears throat> so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. Make complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord of one-minded. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that every name, so at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to God, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, help us understand your word as always. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to soften our hearts so that it can mold our lives, so it can change our vision, so we can see you more clearly, so we can walk better in the Spirit, God. So I pray this morning you are sanctifying us, you are encouraging us, you are instructing us, you are correcting us, Lord. I pray that this morning is all about you, that we can glorify you in our worship and in our minds and in our actions. So we ask these things in your name. Amen. All right, point number one is this, that the church is to be humbly united, humbly united. Uh, and it starts with this phrase, if, and it's kind of a, if you put that if and the words in Christ at the end of every sentence, it's kind of like this. If, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort from love in Christ, if there's any participation in the Spirit in Christ, if there's any affection and sympathy in Christ, Paul is saying, if there's any of these things, if they exist, church, you need to say yes. You need a response. So he's kind of doing a call and response with the church. He's trying to get them boistered up a little bit, a little bit excited, a little bit of joy in the church's life. And so let's maybe break some of these down to you for, uh, for us this morning. So is there any encouragement in Christ? Jesus, church, is there any encouragement in Christ? Meaning... Has Jesus ever, church, has he ever poured out support for you? Has he ever given you unexplainable joy? Has he ever uh, given you uh, unbreakable hope? Has he ever lifted you up from a struggle? Has he ever lifted you up from depression or a dark time or from hurt? Has he ever lifted you up and given you encouragement and set you on your way? And the church in Philippi is saying, yes, Christ has done that for us. And then he goes on, is there any encouragement or is there any comfort in Christ? Has Christ, knowing him, has he given you any comfort at all? 
Has he come alongside you when you're low? Has he come alongside you and helped you when you're depressed? Has he come alongside you when you fall and stumble every single day? Has he gone down to you and just loved you? Have you felt the love of Christ, church in Philippi? And the church is like, yes, yes, we've, we've felt that. We know that. We've experienced that. Is there any participation in the Spirit, Paul is asking the church? Is there any encouragement in the body of Christ, right? The fellowship of believers. That's what that means. Participation in the Spirit has this word uh, koinonia, this Greek word koinonia, which means um, spiritually connected community. So Paul's saying, hey, the body of Christ in the church, is this an encouragement to you? Is it nice having brothers and sisters in Christ that have been redeemed like you, that have been saved by you, that have seen miracles like you, that that are regenerate by you, that have been forgiven like you. Is that an encouragement to you, church? And the church of Philippi is like, it's amazing having brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes. Is there any affection or sympathy in Christ? Put more clearly, maybe, Paul is asking, church, have you experienced God's compassion and mercy? Right? Or do you feel God shaming you and embarrassing you, belittlingly turn away from you? Like, no, 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 no. I, I felt God's mercy every day. I feel God's compassion and God's grace. And they're together as a church saying, yes, we're experiencing all these things. Paul is trying to get the church to be one-minded, to be unified, right? He's trying to get them all boistered and excited about Jesus, and he's doing this by kind of having this response, helping them prove to them, remind them that God is good. It's kind of like when we have, or when we were teenagers, or if you have teenagers, when, you're, when we complain to our parents, oh, you don't love us, you don't take care of us, you don't care, right? Our kids complain sometimes. And then we have to go through that list of proving our love. Uh, my dad was a little bit more direct. He's like, do you have a house? Do you have a roof over your head? Yes, dad. Do you have a car? Yes, dad. Do you eat every day? Yes, Dad. Do I pay for everything in your life, son? Yes, Dad, right? Like this reminder, like, well, this is me proving to you that I love you. I take care of you. I provide for you. I educate you. Like, you're good, Andrew. All right, right? That's what Paul's doing, church. Don't be discouraged. God is continually loving you. And so the church is being united and encouraged. Because this is what he says. He ends that little section with, make my joy complete. By continuing to be same-minded, by continuing, church, to be encouraged in Christ, because of Christ, only because of Jesus, having this koinonia aspect in the church is encouraging, and it helps to be one-minded, one mission, and that is all about him, making God known, making Jesus' name famous, right? This is what we're boistered to do, encouraged to do. As we grow and mature in Christ, we should be doing this together. And he's doing this because what he's transitioning to is going to be really, really hard. It's going to be really difficult. So in our oneness, we need to do this. This is how in our oneness we need to be acting. So if you continue on with the passage, it says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not unto your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, right? So right off the bat, he said, hey, we need to be one, we need to be together, we need to be encouraged, and we need to do this. And this is really hard, this is really difficult. One of the hardest things I need to do in Scripture is to obey this, and that is to be a servant to someone else. It's really actually hard sometimes to put the needs of someone else 
over yours, especially in a culture that is the opposite, right? In our culture, it's all about us. It's all about me because I'm the greatest. I'm amazing. I'm gifted. I'm smart. I'm talented. It's all feeding this me monster that our culture is. It's never about our culture rarely celebrates service. Uh, I read a, a, a quote from someone that I, I actually enjoy watching occasionally. I, I like UFC sometimes, uh, ultimate fighting, but generally the fights are like Saturday night and the big ones don't end until like one o'clock in the morning and I got church in the morning, so I don't watch it often, but I do like Conor McGregor. I don't know if you guys know who he is. Uh, he's a little bit entertaining to watch, um, but then I read this quote and maybe my opinion of him has changed. He said this, he says, me and Jesus are cool. I'm cool with all the gods. Gods recognize gods. Hmm. Okay. And the crowd went, the crowd loved it. They loved it. Clapping, cheering, rooting. Right? Our culture loves the arrogant. Our culture loves pride. Our culture loves uh, status and esteem. We love this. This is what we're teaching uh, us to do. It's what we're teaching our generation, our next generation to love, to, to crush the weak, to be the greatest, to win at all costs. And Paul is instructing the church again and again and again to be the opposite. That we need to be leading the way, that we need to be the best, outserve everyone, that we need to put others' needs above our own. And sometimes it's costly and sometimes it's difficult to do, right? Uh, as, as, a, as a pastor, we get phone calls often to help move. It's just, it's like owning a truck. It's like that bad. It's like every week someone needs help moving. But I have herniated discs and I've had uh, issues. And so I, I've kind of like not done that as much. Uh, but I got this one call one time from my friend Jim at my other church. He's like, Andrew, like no one is here. No one is helping. I was like, Jim, I, uh, mm, because I, I know it's not easy, right? I, I'd rather be with my family. And I'd rather be able to walk the next day, right? Which I didn't. I was out for about a week. But you, you have to evaluate, is this the time to serve? Or is this the, it's just, it's really hard to put other people above ourselves. But he says, Paul says, have this mind among you. This needs to be our mindset if we're the bride of Christ, if we are the church, the body of Jesus. And he says, it's already yours. It's yours in Christ Jesus. This is possible. This is attainable. This is doable because Christ did it. And he transitions to point number two, which is Christ's humiliation is our example. Christ's humiliation is our example in this. If we think it's hard, if we don't know how to do it, we have someone that we can look to who's done this perfectly. He has outserved everyone in existence, Jesus did. So let's read 5 and 8 again, because this is like the, the good meat of the passage. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Uh, there's something about a redemption story that's really, really good. I'm sure we can think of lots of movies where there's like a high, and then the person falls into a really big low, and then at the very end of the movie, it all ends happy. I love happy endings. I like, that's why Endgame for me is like the greatest movie ever, because it's all done, but it's all good, right? Um, we, uh, we love Marvel. My family loves Marvel. We just saw Spider-Man. 
awesome. No spoilers, but it was awesome. Uh, but one of the best maybe sh- stories of this is the movie Thor, which is a horrible movie, garbage movie. But the story's still good. Hate the movie Thor. But Thor is a good example, right? Thor is a demigod, uh, god of thunder, really powerful, uh, really strong, really handsome and all that, apparently. So, uh, but Thor is living life. He's loving, and he's going to conquering people. He's partying. He's living the life. But he, he, he causes a war to start with his enemies, his dad's enemies. And his dad is furious. He's like, dude, you just, you're going to cost hundreds and thousands of lives because of your foolishness, because of your arrogance, because of your pride. And what does Odin do? He removes all of Thor's powers and casts them out, right? So he's no more god of thunder. He has no more super strength. He can't fly. He has no more hammer, which is called what? What is Thor's hammer? Mjolnir. Some of you knew that. Nice, right? Mjolnir. He, he has nothing. He's cast to earth. And he is nothing. As flawed as that maybe example is, that's what we're looking here in verses 6 through 8. What he's trying to show us, what Paul is showing us, is the the depths of which Christ changed. Christ being highly exalted in heaven, and now he's going to be humbled and low. And the disparity is huge. The discrepancy is ginormous of how Christ humbled himself. And that's what we're going to be looking at. So verse 6 says this, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, let's break this down and, and see how big of a sacrifice Jesus made. Simply saying, Jesus pre-existed before the foundations of the world. That when everything was created, it was like God the Father, it was Jesus, it was the Trinity. They were always there in glory. Jesus always existed. And we see this in John 17, 5, which is a great passage. John 17, 5 says this, And now, Father, glorify me, or raise me up uh, in your own presence with glory that I had with you before the world existed. So Jesus, being God, he was in heaven in glory all the time. Jesus was the majesty of the Father. Jesus was the beauty of the Father. Jesus is called the radiance of God. That was Jesus' position in heaven. Before we came into there, Jesus was the radiance, the the light of God. In the creeds, we call Jesus the light of light. We humans, we reflect Jesus a little bit, but we do a poor job of it, right? We reflect, we're image bearers. We reflect goodness and kindness and mercy and love and forgiveness. We, we demonstrate God's likeness, but very poorly. Jesus doesn't reflect God's nature. Jesus is the actual light of God. <clears throat> we see this in Hebrews 1.3. It says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so that's Jesus before, and now we're going to see his humbling, his humiliation. It says, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Even though Jesus created everything, Jesus created the stars and the sun, he created the earth and the grass, he created bone and marrow, light and dark, he created animals, souls, minds, consciousness, Time He created everything, even though that's how amazing and good where Jesus was, he never, ever used it for his own glory. Not once did Jesus, in his earned, deserved glory, say, it's all about me. 
he always reflected, he always pointed, he always redirected. Everything he did was for his father. Even though he was awesome, it was for Jesus, or it's for his father, right? We look at maybe uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus had the power to stop things, to save the world. He had the power to save us in the garden, and yet he says this in Matthew 26. My father, is, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, right? Jesus always redirecting glory to his father, putting God the Father first and him under him, right? That's even what uh, Satan was doing when Jesus was uh, in the wilderness for 40 days, right? Jesus is fasting before his ministry. What was Satan's attack? It was trying to get Jesus to draw glory to himself. Jesus, fall off the, jump off this and call the angels to come and save you. As king, they will protect you, Jesus. Bring glory upon yourself. And Jesus said, no, no, I'm not doing that, right? Take the throne in Jerusalem. It's your throne. You are King Jesus. Take the throne. Get glory for yourself. I ain't doing that, right? Rule all of earth. I will release my dominion over earth as Satan. I will give you all dominion if you receive glory. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. Glory is to my Father. I am submitting. I am serving my Father. And then he empties himself. And here's where the, here's where the good stuff of Christmas comes into play. As glorious and as radiant as Jesus is, he's going to really humble himself in the Christmas story. It says this, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, number one, and being born in the likeness of men, number two. So this emptying of Jesus needs to be understood. This emptying that Jesus did was not a subtraction of himself. Jesus on earth for those 33 years was not less in any way, shape, or form. Right? This is not like Thor being sent to earth as a bumbling idiot with no powers, no flight, no mule right? He emptied, Thor lost. God actually added on to his nature. He became more, right? So Christ added things to his nature, to himself, so that it would lessen his stature. So the two things was servant and the second was likeness. So let's look at those in order. So Jesus became a servant. So he left the glories of heaven he left the throne room of God, all those six-winged creatures and angels singing. He left all of those glories, and like we see in Revelation, to, to become a servant and to serve the sick and the hurting and the dying and the sinners and the rejected and the arrogant and the prideful. He came so that he can serve and put their needs above his own. Jesus has to tell his disciples over and over and over again, it's not about who's the greatest. It's not about who's going to get honor in heaven. It's always about giving glory to God. If you remember uh, Jesus in the upper room, right, right before uh, his crucifixion and his arrest, they're having Passover dinner, right? So they get to Jerusalem. It's a big party, and then they're trying to throw this Passover dinner, and they're getting all the food and all the supplies they need, and they're sitting down at the table, and they're probably eating, and then they realize they forgot something. They forgot to set someone up or to hire someone to wash their feet. And they kind of realize this, and they're sitting at the table. And remember, this is like, it's probably like 90 degrees in Jerusalem. They're wearing sandals, so their feet are sweaty, then covered in dirt. They're gross. Feet are gross. Just let's throw that out there. Feet are gross. It took me like maybe until we were engaged, my wife and I, that I actually touched her feet because they're gross. Um, not her specifically, just generally. <laughs> Richard, can we cut that out? Thanks, appreciate it. Uh, just feet in general. Uh, but Jesus, 
Uh, this is what he, he stands up. He realizes he stands up. He takes his cloak off. He takes a towel and he grabs some water. And he walks over to a disciple and he gets on the floor and he picks up that gross foot and starts cleaning it to serve them well, to treat them with honor. Remember, created everything, washing feet, right? And he walks, goes to the next disciple and he takes Judas's feet, the one who will betray him, the one who doesn't believe that he is the Messiah. He takes his feet. And he washes them clean. The creator of everything does this. So we're called to be this, though. This is our example. This kind of service, this kind of servant, no matter how important we think we are, we are not above King Jesus. And if Jesus can do it, so should we. And so can we, right? We have this ability in Jesus to be like Jesus and to put others above ourselves. To be like Jesus and to wash the feet and to do the hard work and to do the gross work to serve in people's lives. The second thing Jesus did to lower himself even more is he actually became flesh. Briefly and quickly, because this is what Christmas is all about. We've, I think we've, we've beat this drum a little bit. But the, uh, Jesus hef, left heavenly glory the splendor to be a man. He added on limitations. He added on flesh. So now Jesus has the limitation of being tired. And now Jesus added on this limitation, this restriction that he put on himself, that now he's going to be hungry, and he's going to be tired, and he's going to be hot, and he's going to get sunburned, he's going to be fatigued. He, he added on limitations for three reasons. One, his father asked him to. Jesus always obeys the father. No matter what God the Father asks, Jesus joyfully obeys. And so he put on limitations to obey the Father. He did it so he can be our example. Now we can look to Jesus like, I don't know how to serve. I don't know what to do. Well, we look to Jesus and just do what he did because he did it perfectly. So Jesus added on flesh to obey, to be an example. And third, so he could be our substitute. So he could die for us because he obeyed Christ perfectly. We can have eternal life. It is, it is covenanted that if you were perfect, you would earn, this is all good, you would earn heaven. That, that anyone could be perfect. If you were, you would earn heaven, but only Jesus was the one who did it, the only one. And so because of that, Verse 8 comes into play. Because Jesus was perfect, because he never sinned, he always put God the Father first. Verse 8 says, And being found in human form, fully man, fully God, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is not a surprise, right? Every Christmas message, our Christmas Eve message was probably on this, right? But this is why he's doing it. Paul wants us to see the huge gap of a king, of a God, of a creator who would wash feet and to serve and to help and to put others above themselves, right? So we look at Christ, how amazing and glorious Christ is, and we see, you know what, he, he, lowered, he added limitations. He lowered himself with limitations. And then we look, you know what, he, he, he came to even serve, not just be human, but he served a lot. He lowered himself of his status. And he actually had a shameful that he died on a cross, a word and a death that Romans wouldn't even do to themselves. Jesus willingly died and suffered for us. He lowered himself even more. And above all that, on top of all that, he took the punishment that I brought. 
he's on the cross because of me, because I sin constantly. And it's my fault he was on the cross, and Jesus willingly obeyed the Father's command and took the wrath that I deserved. That is a servant. How can I have any pride left? How could I think that I'm amazing, good, or anything in those words? How do I think that I'm above being a servant? I can't. Not when I look to Christ. When I look to Christ, I know that I am nothing, and that's good, because he is everything. So in Paul's story here, we've looked at two portions Right? We looked at how Christ needs to be humble, we need to serve, we need to be one, united in this in our minds, that we need to be all on mission about serving, loving, and preaching Christ, right? making everything all about him. And we can look to Jesus as our example. If we're confused, we don't know what to do, we look to Jesus. If we don't know how to serve, we look to Jesus. If we don't know who to serve, we look to Jesus. He did it perfectly. And then Paul transitions to point three, which is Christ's exaltation. Right? Christ being lifted up. <clears throat> it says this in verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? So here's the redemption part of the story. Right, if we go back to that bad movie, uh, Thor, uh, right? Uh, Thor is on Earth, and Loki, his evil brother, sends some weird machine uh, to Earth to kill it, destroy it, and to kill his friends. And, and Thor is realizing that in order to save people, he needs to give up his life because Thor want, or Loki wants to kill Thor. And so Thor walks on the street, gets punched one time, and dies. It's really dumb. But Thor, do, do you see? I hate this movie a little bit. It's coming through a little bit too much. Um, but Thor gives himself up. He realizes in order to save people, he needs to die. In order to, to be a hero, he actually needs to give up his life. And so Thor dies and then gets his power and defeats Loki, right? But that's what we have here. Jesus gives up his life in order to save. And because of that, Jesus and God promise that those who serve will be exalted. Those who are humble get exalted. Those who obey God get rewarded, Right? So in Matthew 23, Jesus gives this promise. He makes this promise to his disciples and to us, the church. He says this in Matthew 23, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And here's the promise for hopefully us in our hearts and our church. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Will be exalted. So that is what God is doing here with Jesus. Because Jesus obeyed the will of God perfectly, because he humbled himself in every single way, because he took and bore the sins of the world, God the Father is now going to lift up and exalt and reward Jesus for his obedience. Right? We saw this in the Advent reading. Right, Jesus was crucified, he died. And he rose again, and then he chilled for 40 days, preaching, teaching, eating, having a good time, but preaching the coming and repentance. And then he goes up into heaven with his earthly body. And so we know that now, today, Jesus has a physical body, the holes in his hand, hole in his side, hole in his feet, but he's glorified. He is alive in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and he's rewarded not just by being exalted, but being highly exalted, being 
extra lifted up, extra rewarded, right? And he's given a new name. And Jesus has a long list of good names. If you Google names of Jesus, titles of Jesus, it's a long list, right? Uh, but the new name he's given is better and is the highest, the best name anyone can have. It's better than Prince of Peace. It's better than the Great Shepherd. It's better than the Bread of Life. It's better than Alpha and Omega, which is a really cool name, right? It's better than all of those. It trumps it. It's better than those. Jesus' new title is Lord. Lord. Jesus is given the name of God, Yahweh in Hebrew. Verse 11 tells us this is his new title. This is how we are all speak of Jesus in glory. Verse 11 says that everyone's going to confess that Jesus, the Christ, is what? Lord. This is his new name. This is his new identity, maybe. So Jesus is his earthly name. Christ is his messianic name. Lord is his eternal name that everyone is going to acknowledge and confess is true. Right? So we know Jesus on earth, Jesus of Nazareth, that's his human form. Christ is the name that he was given for his mission. He was to save the world. He was the Messiah, and Lord now is his identity, is Lord God Jesus. Verses 10 and 11 is wonderful and an amazing reality for us, that one day, us here in this room, if you know and submit and have faith in Jesus Christ, we will all be in heaven all together, one day. And it, together with the angels and those cool six-winged creatures that we see, we're, like, we're all going to be together and Jesus will be there and every one of us will declare, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God and we love you. That's what we get to do together. We get to speak truth. And it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be joyous. It's going to be happy. It's going to be good. It's going to be satisfying for us to speak that truth that, that the one that we loved, Jesus, is God. We get to declare that and celebrate that and worship him. But that's not the reality for everyone, is it? We're given three locations in this text. We're given in heaven, we're given on earth, and we're given under the earth. And so in heaven, that's us. That's the children of God. Those who are repenting to put our faith in Jesus as our Savior, we will be that, declaring Jesus as Lord with joy. On earth, it's going to be a little bit of a mixed bag. On earth, those, if we're here on earth and we have faith in Jesus and somehow Christ reveals himself to the globe, to the world, to existence, to those alive, some of us who are children of God, we're going to say, Jesus, you are Lord, you are here, you've saved us. But most of the world are going to say, oh no, Jesus is Lord. I didn't believe. And it's too late. It's too late. The demons on earth and Satan on earth and the unsaved on earth will declare and acknowledge at that moment Jesus is God. And it's too late. The third location we're given is under the earth. So the demons that are in hell, the demons that are unbelieving, the souls that have died and passed away on earth that didn't have faith in Jesus, those souls at that moment, at the second coming of Christ, have to submit, and they have to bow their knee, not in repentant joy, Jesus is Lord, but in admission of guilt and wrong and regret. Oh, Jesus is Lord, and I didn't 
follow. I didn't obey. And so Paul is using this as motivation for us. That God, Jesus, will reign and is reigning in heaven. And we get to be with him forever. And so while on earth, keep our eyes on Jesus. While on earth, continue to serve. While on earth, be like Christ. Outdo one another and serve one another and love one another because Jesus did. And when we do church, we will be rewarded. We will be in heaven, in glory, with Jesus, praising, worshiping, and living life together. It's going to be amazing. But it ha- we have to keep our eyes on Christ. Um, a few weeks ago, I think uh, our youth pastor at Crown Point, Foster, was here preaching. And Foster has this saying that he does when he answers the phone and when I knock on his door, basically, uh, or when anyone does. But I'll knock or someone will call, and I hear Foster say, hey, how can I serve you? I'm like, oh. And so kind of like in our, in our office with Sam and Foster and I, we kind of adopted this phrase, stole it from Foster, but it's, how can I serve you? It's how he responds to everyone. And now I'm starting to say it too, and Sam's saying it, but it, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a nice little application of whenever someone reaches out to us, we try and say, how can I serve you? What, what, what need do you have? How, how can I make it easier? How can I make your job easier? How can I serve you in any way, shape, or form? And, and maybe that's the application for us this morning is maybe our language and our mindsets need to shift. It's kind of shifted into a, like a New Year's resolution thing, which I, I don't really like those sermons very much. But, um, but maybe, th- maybe now is the time to kind of do that, is maybe we need to change our language. Maybe we need to change our attitude. Maybe we need to think about during our week vacation this week, if we have one, is like, how can I be a better servant to the church, and how can I be a better servant to my community? How can, in our service, and we put our other, others' needs above ours, how can we make God's name known? Because that's really the reason. It's not to feel good about ourselves. It's to be obedient. It's not to make ourselves feel better, but it's to make and ease other people's burdens, stresses, and needs, right? So that we can preach the gospel. Jesus always pointed people to the Father. And so if we want to be a church that's all about him, our actions, how we view people need to do the same. We need to be a church that points people to the gospel of Jesus Christ by serving them well. I pray that we can continue to be a church that loves others more than ourselves and points them to Jesus.